Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. Samantha Bush is a lifestyle blogger, writer, business owner, and fertility activist. Her husband, Kyle Bush, is a two-time NASCAR Cup champion. Kyle Bush is going to win his second Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series championship. Daytona predictions. I feel like I have the winner right That's, here. Yeah, well, I'm hoping so, yeah. <laughs> we tried for so many years to have our son, Brexton, found out I had fertility issues, he did, um, and we ultimately had to go through IVF. Obviously, there's hurt and devastation and learning all of the things that come about and figuring out what's going on. So, today around 11 o'clock, my stomach started hurting. And I stood up and I was bleeding. The doctor said because I had gone from being pregnant to miscarriage to not even getting pregnant with the one embryo we have left, they suggested a surrogate. Hi, I'm Samantha Bush and I'm an unapologetic advocate breaking the silence around IVF and miscarriages for women around the world, no matter who it makes uncomfortable. Sorry, not sorry. So we're definitely going to get to IVF and the issues that are so important to you. But I want to start really by talking a little bit about your life right now. You're married to Kyle Bush, who won the NASCAR championship last year. And I would imagine that makes for a very, very public life. So can you tell us a bit about what that's like for you? Yeah. So as many people know, I am married to Kyle Bush, a two-time NASCAR champion. And it's great. You know, with NASCAR, we travel on the road 38 weeks out of the year. This will be my 11th year on the road. So for us, it's kind of just how life is. It's kind of crazy now that racing and the rest of the world's on a break because this will honestly be the first time that we've been home for this long of a stretch. Even when the off season comes, There's photo shoots and appearances and vacations and all that stuff. And we're kind of looking forward to it. There's a lot of projects that we've put off that we'll now be working on. But because we're on the road so much, we've kind of changed our entire lifestyle to fit that. So first and foremost, we travel as a family. So we homeschool our son, Brexton. He's four and a half. He'll be five in May. And so we really enjoyed doing that. We work with a teacher who puts together a curriculum for us and we get all the materials. And so far, it's going really well. I think once he gets a little bit older, we'll let him decide. But he loves traveling. And Kyle and I feel like he gets so many more hands-on experiences by being all over the country. So that's one thing that we're Always focused on. I take my kids with me everywhere when I'm on location too. And I think it makes for very well-adjusted kids. 
Yeah, I just feel like if not, we wouldn't see Kyle Thursday through Sunday every week. And then we have a million businesses at home that were both being pulled a million different directions on Monday through Thursday afternoon. So I just didn't think it was a great quality of life to not be together and make the most out of traveling. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Northwest Indiana. It's about 25 minutes outside of Chicago. My whole family is there. I came from a big Italian family. We all lived like a few blocks away. So I was one of the first ones to move away and break that, which was hard for everybody. And it was hard for me too. I was so used to always having all my cousins and aunts and uncles around. And then Kyle and I met, I was a junior in college. I just turned 21. Well, we actually met, I was still in college, and I did promotional modeling on the weekends and stuff uh-huh. to pay for school, and it was my first day, first couple hours at a racetrack, and we crossed paths, and yeah, yeah he took me for a ride around, not in, like, the actual race right. car, like the pace but, car? Yeah. Yes, and, we were giving pace car rides. Yep, and we kind of connected, and I still had to finish my whole senior year, so he'd come to school, I'd go to the races, and that was a really long time ago. We kind of did the whole long distance thing for a while, and then moved out to North Carolina and got engaged, and I've been here since 2008. So that must have been a big change when you became involved with Kyle. Was it hard to go from anonymity to such like a visible role? It was really overwhelming at first. Obviously, I grew up in a kind of small town. I went to Purdue University. I was used to living the college life. I had my friends, had my work, had my school, and then Kyle and I met, and we started, you know, just casually talking. But when we seriously started dating, I was doing my senior year at Purdue and it was kind of overwhelming. Like I didn't tell anybody and people found out by watching Daytona 500. And my friends are texting me like, Hey, you're not at home. Like you said, and it went from living in this small little apartment at Purdue to doing this crazy glamorous NASCAR lifestyle. But with that came suddenly everybody wanting to know who you were and about your past and how you guys met. And it was a lot to take in at first, but I feel like I kind of found my stride and my voice. And I think I spent a lot of years being worried what people thought about what I wore or what I said or what I did. And it's nice now to be this far down the line and kind of be confident in who I am and now being able to be a voice or show a way for other people. I ask because you've been so public about your struggles with infertility and with your miscarriages. I've miscarried twice, and I know how hard it is and how hard it is to be public about it because it seems like these are things that people and women just don't want to discuss. They're such private stories, and I think that they're hard for women and men to talk about publicly. So what made you decide to be so public about it? When we first started going through infertility, we like to say it was during the NASCAR baby boom. And so everybody was either pregnant or having kids and people were constantly hounding us, you know, when are you having a baby? Why don't you guys have kids? And then that led to, oh no, what's wrong with their marriage? They're not trying to have kids. And this whole time we were desperately trying and not knowing that we both had underlying issues, which was why we weren't pregnant. And so once we did finally go through IVF and when we were pregnant with Brexton, the whole time we were praying and we continued to pray about it, kind of a, why us, God? Like, why did you put us through hell to get to this point? And we just felt like it was really placed on our hearts that it was for a bigger purpose. And so that kind of compelled me to, on my blog, share our whole infertility story. And it's also what helped us start the Bundle of Joy Fund, which is our foundation that pays for couples in Charlotte to go through IVF. 
Alright, so we just got to Hannah and Jake's house and we are going to surprise them with $10,000 from the Bundle Money. of Joy Fund. So as you can see, because of the crazy times, we have gloves and masks and we lice all the checks and everything else. Um, so how we found them was we got to their parents and so both sets of parents are here. And I also see a few other cars behind us, so uh, we're gonna do like a mini parade for them. And we're just so excited. So we're just waiting for Reach right now to call us because basically Reach is doing Zoom calls to keep up with all their patients. So they will be on a Zoom call with them and then tell them to go outside to look for a special package. Package. So we're super excited and here we go. We realized that for so many couples, they get the diagnosis, they know that IVF is their only option, and then they get handed a bill of upwards of $20,000, and that's yeah. it. That's the end of the line. Like They're not going to become parents, and it's not fair because of financial reasons that couples don't have the opportunity to become parents. Why do you think it's so hard for women to talk about it? IVF or miscarriage or all of it? All of it. Even postpartum. I suffered from postpartum anxiety and depression. And it wasn't until I started confiding in friends and they'd look at me and be like, oh, me too. I have that too. I feel like that idea of the village, the sisterhood village just doesn't exist. Like we feel almost that we're maybe less than and therefore there's stigma surrounding infertility. But I'm wondering if you have found in your journey if people have told you why it's so hard for them to talk about? Yeah, I think especially when we were struggling, I mean, because I was 26 when we started trying, I was very young and I was embarrassed. All my friends were getting pregnant. They had no troubles. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I think as women, we automatically are like, what did we do wrong? What's wrong with us? And it, it's hard to overcome that. And on top of it, I think sometimes you can be paired with a really amazing doctor who could get you through it, or you could be paired with a doctor that's kind of just checking the boxes next patient. And when you're young, you don't really have that voice to speak up and ask the questions that you need. And so I think that was something that really made me want to share our story and help others have a voice. I felt super depressed when I couldn't get pregnant and we were trying so hard and trying every natural thing under the sun to get pregnant. And I felt alone. Like I said, all my friends were having babies. We were the only ones that couldn't. It was interesting. We used to be this big group of friends. And then slowly, as everybody has kids, they yeah. have their own way of life. You don't have those big group outings anymore. And I just felt left out and embarrassed and alone. And once I really finally got over that and worked through all those issues, I felt like I was able to talk about it. And hopefully by talking about it helped others not feel the way that I did. How long were you trying? Oh, gosh, we tried for a good year before the OBGYN would finally even see me. And then she tested me and found that I had PCOS and then put me on fertility drugs. But still didn't bother to test my husband because, of course, fertility can only be a woman's issue, right? right? So right. I went through five months of hell on these hormones, then finally went to a fertility clinic and they're like, oh, well, you have PCOS and your husband has a super low sperm count. You guys are never getting pregnant on your own. So that's something I speak up about too, is that fertility is not just a women's issue. It's actually one third female factor, one third male factor, one third unexplained. So I try to tell people, get your husband's tested. Like that's a big reason why you might not be getting pregnant. 
families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It must have been really hard on you and your marriage. How did you get through it? Trying and watching everybody else have their babies, the whole experience. Oh, I didn't get through it very well. Um, I would say during that time, I was definitely depressed and I isolated myself and I felt like kind of a shell of the person I used to be. I wasn't this outgoing, bubbly person. And what's hard is when you are kind of in the public eye because of Kyle's job, it was still attending sponsor events and fan interactions and being happy and outgoing. And it took all of my energy to be that person to the public. And then I would just come home and kind of shelter myself. I started saying no to going out or it just got too hard to hear the question, why aren't you having a kid? What's going on? And so it was definitely a difficult time. It was really hard to navigate being younger and still This was a time, I mean, gosh, it was almost seven years ago that people didn't talk about infertility like they do today. And I'm happy that the conversation has come such a long way in a few years. I bet a lot of my listeners don't even know what the IVF experience is like and how hard that experience is. Can you walk us through that a little bit? What was involved? Yeah, it's a lot of shots, (laughs) a lot of medicine. So when we found out that we had to go through IVF, the first thing that they do is they stimulate your ovaries in order to go in and remove the eggs. And so that was pretty trying. There's a lot of injections in your stomach that go along with that. And then the egg retrieval process for the first few days after it, you're really bloated and sore. And then they do the embryo creation because Kyle and I had issues. We opted to do genetic testing also And then we did the embryo transfer for our son, Braxton. And the first time, everything took great. You stay on shots of, it's called progesterone and oil. So there are these huge shots in your butt. (laughs) And after weeks on it, you're definitely sore. Mom? Yes, seriously, don't hurt me. Kyle, can you hold your butt? You're fine. Okay, tell the camera what area we're going in. We are going in the upper outer quadrant. Why outer? Because your sciatic nerve runs right down the middle of your butt. Kyle, my sciatic nerve is in the middle of my butt. Don't hit that. Got it. The process is very streamlined. It's obviously pretty standard, but individualized based on medications and dosages. But I always tell people it's a lot, but you have to take it one day at a time, one medication at a time. If you try to look at the whole process in the big picture, it's too overwhelming. So I always tell women, just do your one protocol, get through that, move on to the next and just keep your charts. And I had all my meds organized and everything was color coded and charted. And that's like the easiest way to get through it all. And did the hormones make you crazy? Yes, I, <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, if you're talking about how you were depressed beforehand and isolated, I can't imagine what you felt 
while you were taking those hormones. I'm going through transitional menopause right now, and I have a hormone cream that I use. And oh my God, first of all, they make me crazy. Second of all, if I forget a day, forget it. I'm like crying all the time. It's just the worst. So I can't imagine what that must have been like for you. Oh yeah. It was awful. It was just days of, I would just feel rage over nothing. I always would tell my husband that it just felt like I needed to punch something. Like I just had this built up rage over nothing. And it was just the hormones or I would go from being infuriated by something so silly. I mean, probably nothing to in tears two minutes later to a normal person five minutes after that. Like it was awful. And that was more actually the fertility drugs before the IVF cycle that did that to me more so than when I was on my fertility protocol. So it was crazy. I mean, you hear different stories from women and there's nothing you could do about it. You know, everybody reacts different, but you try to be a normal person, but it's like these hormones just completely take you over. Tell me a little bit about how Kyle supported you throughout this time, because I know from my husband, when I was going through my postpartum anxiety and depression, it was very hard for him to know what to do. He also got like, my husband gets really angry when someone is hurting and he can't fix it because he's just a fixer. That's what he does. And it took him a while to figure out that he wasn't going to be able to fix this and that he had to find other ways to support me through it. How was Kyle during this experience for you? I would say during our year plus of trying without answers, he was definitely the rock. He was the one who, after every failed pregnancy test, would be like, okay, we'll try something different or we'll try something new or it's going to be okay. You know, he was kind of the strong one. And then once we both started IVF, I'm a type A too. So we had a plan and we had something to do. And that was very easy for both of us because we knew what we needed to do. Right. We knew the goal. And so that was easy. I would say the hardest part was the miscarriage. And then we went to the doctor, where I was having a lot of clots and bleeding, and they did an ultrasound, and they said my cervix was still closed, and she was in there, but I was in the beginning of a miscarriage. That we experienced our second time trying, and we really had a tough time with that because like you said, husbands automatically want to be the fixers and there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to do. There's nothing that's going to change a miscarriage. And so that was really hard. And we struggled just through different grieving and not understanding what the other person needed. And it was a really difficult time. Yeah, I remember after my first miscarriage, being in the parking lot with my husband, both of us are like crying and holding each other. And finally, he looked at me and he goes, we're going to make a better baby next time. And I started laughing so hard because I was like, that's the cutest slash most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. And then he started like giggling too. And he goes, that baby was a Red Sox fan and we're going to make him a Yankees fan next time. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. I know it's so, so hard and it's like yeah. nobody knows what to say in that situation, you know? There's nothing to say, you know, and it's the tricky thing. And no, I don't care how many times I heard the statistic of one in four pregnancies ended in miscarriage. It didn't matter. It was still so, so very hurtful. It was so hurtful. And I mean, I've heard from a lot of women that did IVF and especially with the genetic testing, that 
ups your success rate so much. You already have so much invested in that embryo transfer and to lose that baby is just so hard. And that's where we struggled because at first we were kind of both grieving together. And then Kyle in typical guy fashion is like, okay, we can't change it. It's time to move on. And I was like, I can't. And I'm kind of upset with you that you want to move on. And he was like, I'm kind of upset with you that you can't move on, you know? And we really were fighting constantly until we went to therapy together to kind of address what was going on because it's very difficult to navigate a miscarriage or a loss like that. And it doesn't matter if it's a baby that was five days old, five weeks old, five months old, all of it hurts. And I really am trying to help couples through that because it was a really difficult for us and it was a really hard time. And there were days that he would avoid me because he didn't want to deal with it. And I needed him and it was just a mess. And when we started figuring out that our grieving was different and how to support each other and what we each needed, that's how we got through it better. Yeah. And I think that every marriage can use that kind of help, that kind of help where you're sitting there and there's someone there telling you, asking the questions in a way that makes you realize what the answer is. And marriage, you get out of it what you put into it. And you got to really put in the work. My parents have been married for over 50 years and they made it look so easy. And I recently said to them, you made it look so easy and it's hard. And they said, no, we used to go into the bedroom and fight. So you guys didn't hear us. And I was like, well, you should have fought in front of us because this whole time I'm thinking, oh, marriage is if you find the right person. But it's all roses. It's all roses. It's not. It's not. But it is like I look at my relationship now and I'm so thankful, especially through quarantine and this crazy time that we're living through. There's no one in the world that I'd rather be going through any of this with than my husband. Exactly. And I think sometimes the challenges make you stronger and better. Oh, for sure. We always come out the other side better and stronger. So I'm curious to know if your insurance covered your treatments. Hardly. Barely a drop. And I got to figure you have pretty good insurance. Yeah, barely a drop in the bucket. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that infertility is classified as a disease, yet there's a lot of people, insurance companies or politicians or whatnot, that say, oh no, well, it's an elective to be a parent. That's just not fair. There's so many other things that insurance covers. And to tell somebody that they need to pay usually a minimum of $20,000. To have a chance, not a guarantee, but a chance to become a parent is outrageous. About 13 in 100 American couples have trouble getting pregnant. Infertility treatments like IVF cost more than $10,000 a cycle. Freezing your eggs on average is between thirty dollars and $40,000. Cheaper options like intrauterine insemination may cost $300 to $1,000. With our foundation, a lot of the people that we help, the majority are police officers, firefighters, nurses, teachers. How do we tell those people, hey, here, throw $20,000 at it, but the average couple will spend around $50,000, $53,000 to actually have a successful pregnancy, which is generally equal to or more than their annual income. So I just it blows my mind that people think that that's okay. And then you add on to it that eight out of 10 people are living paycheck to paycheck. 
And you look at this like, okay, if eight out of 10 people are living paycheck to paycheck and are one life event away from total financial devastation, how many people are not having kids at this time that want kids because they just can't afford it? And then you add on to that that there might be experiences with infertility and it just seems hopeless. It is hopeless. That's why we started our foundation because I've personally met, helped, talked with couples. I had one couple, he worked three jobs, she worked two jobs. They also worked part-time side jobs for cash. Still wasn't enough. Had to sell their house, move in with his parents just to have a shot at a round of IVF. I mean, people go at one round. Dreams. Right. Yeah, one round. And when that doesn't work and they need to save for another one, it's just so frustrating that we live where we live and there's so much potential to help these couples. But until people go through it or experience it firsthand, they just don't see it. And there's so many stigmas still around IVF and around fertility treatments because people just don't understand them. And I think that's where the lack of funding comes from. That's where the lack of policies is at. And so what I hope is that by being a complete open book and sharing our stories and sharing the stories of people that I've met through our foundation, people understand that we need insurance coverage. You know, our foundation can only do so much. There's other foundations out there like us. It's going to take big time policies to help more people. Well, speaking of policy, you've been to Washington to change this problem. Tell me about the time you've spent in Washington. Yeah, I went up there once with Resolve for their advocacy day, and it was really great meeting with people, but change is slow and it's hard. And there's a lot of people that still don't support IVF, which is so frustrating. I mean, we are just couples that want so desperately to be parents, have a child that calls us mommy and daddy and to do all the things that other people get to experience in life. And it's really hard when something in our body doesn't work. And this is what I try to tell people. It's an ovary. It's a blocked fallopian tube. It's a body part. It's nothing that you did wrong. It's right. just something that you need help with. And the fact that the coverage isn't there is just so frustrating because I see these families that we help. I see what amazing parents they are. We have an annual play date every year with these children and they're so loved and adored. And that was because we gave them a chance. And it's like, my gosh, why aren't the big policymakers who can do so much more than our little foundation doing something? Where can people find out more information about Bundle of Joy Fund? Is there a website they can go to? Yeah, we're at bundleofjoyfund.org. In four years, we've helped 57 couples. That's Baby amazing. number 26 and 27 were born, so we're very excited. Aww. Congratulations. Thank you. You're like a godmother for everyone. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, my son looks forward to it now. It, he calls it his annual play date, and all the kids get together. It's really surreal to see all these families and all these children together now and to know that because we went through our struggle to have Brexton that now all these families have kids. Well, it's beautiful and it's beautiful that you were able to turn your own pain and suffering into service for other people. I just think it's amazing. So great, great work. Thank you. You're welcome.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's such a tricky thing to discuss with people, but I'm wondering if you have any advice or what do you wish people said differently to you when they found out you were struggling to get pregnant? I do. I try to speak to people. I have a lot of people that reach out that say, you know, their sister or their best friend is struggling and what can they do? And I always tell people, don't offer the, oh, in God's time or, oh, this happens to one in four people. Or a lot of people told me, oh, at least you weren't that far along when going through a miscarriage. And I try to tell people like, I know you say that because it's the common thing to say, or you think it'll make it better, but it just hurts more. So I always tell like, if it's your sister going through it, grab a bottle of wine, say, do you want to talk? You don't want to talk? That's fine. We'll put on a Netflix show. We'll go for a walk. Like Whatever they need, just be there for them. And I get it. It's uncomfortable. I've had a lot of people tell me like, oh, we didn't know what to do with you during that time. We didn't know how to handle it. And I get that. And I think just being honest and telling your friends, hey, look, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how you're feeling, but I can be there for you. And if it's to be there to talk openly, let's do it. Or if it's just to be there to hang out and not even discuss it, that's one thing. And then I also give people advice if they're going through it to kind of set up the boundaries and let people know what they need. After working with a therapist, after a miscarriage and a failed attempt, that was one thing I learned is people can't guess what you need. You need to kind of define if you need space or if you need them around or what that looks like. Right. Because I think that it is a lonely experience. And I think actually having a baby in those beginning months is a very lonely experience, especially when you're breastfeeding and that time when your husband goes back to work or those 3 a.m. feedings. It's very hard. And to that same loneliness, I think also pertains to miscarriages. Nobody knows what you feel inside of your body and that the pain of a miscarriage, what that feels like. And the loneliness of infertility and people always saying the wrong thing. And I think you're right. I think you have to bring people in and set those boundaries. This is what I need from you. I think expectations actually are very harmful in general. I think the older I get, the more I realize the most hurt that I've been in my life was when I expected people to do things as I would do them for them. Right. Like when we went through the miscarriage and I was just felt like I was like free falling and didn't know what to do with myself for life. My friends wanted to be there for me, but then I was kind of not ready for it. And then that was probably offensive. And then when I was ready, I wasn't communicating that to them. And so it's really about trying to be as open as you can with those boundaries of like, hey, I need you, but I don't want to talk about it. Or, hey, this is too raw right now. I just need like a week to myself. And I think before all this started, it's funny because I have a master's in psychology, but I was like, no, I don't need therapy. 
But you do find that talking to somebody, talking to a professional and really working through your feelings helps because I think a lot of times, like when we were trying for our son Brexton, I was just pushing all those emotions in and pushing them down and then they would kind of explode. But I think one good piece of advice is find a community of women who have gone through what you've gone through, especially through social media. I've made amazing connections with women that helped me through my miscarriage that were complete strangers. And then therapy, because sometimes you just need somebody to listen and help you vet out your emotions and help you understand what you need from those around you. For me, therapy is about someone that asks the questions in a way that allows you to connect the dots for yourself. You have all the answers inside of you, but it's about having someone ask those questions that lead you to discovering what's inside of you. Are there resources available for people who are trying to get pregnant and are struggling? I think there's tons. There's lots of online support groups. Resolve is kind of the national level, and they have different community support groups. There's tons of online ones. I started looking a little bit into this peanut app for people trying to conceive, and actually we're working on a surrogate right now, and I connected with a woman that way who was like, hey, I used a surrogate. Here's the agency we went through, yada, yada. And so I think when people start looking, and that's what I'm very proud of is that from six, seven years ago when we were trying for Brex until now, there's so many more resources, so many more people openly speaking about infertility and miscarriage and everything that goes along with it. And I think that's going to be the awareness and the community voice that we need to one day see insurance coverage. To affect that change, it's going to have to come down to the people. Is there anything people listening can do to help to get better laws for coverage? If they go to resolve.org, they know exactly all the policies that I am not as good with, but I wish I was. I know that we would like to look at the state level to start. And it's hard. You know, we've worked with some different private insurance companies that are doing it at the business level, which is nice. But there's so many different boundaries and red tape and everything. So I know Resolve is very big in that. And then I think just talking about it and bringing awareness to the issue, that's what's going to happen one day. And I think that we will get coverage. But I know you fight a lot for women's rights. I think that for so long, people looked at infertility as just on the woman, and it didn't get the attention that it needed. All of women's health. I mean, there's not even a test for ovarian cancer. We're living in a time where we have to be our own advocates. And sometimes we don't know what we're even supposed to be advocating for. But it's like all the medications are tested on men. There's so much about women's health that is bullshit, excuse my language. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. You know, most women think a pap smear will give you results for ovarian cancer. It does not. You actually should get a blood test and an ultrasound along with your yearly checkup in order to screen for ovarian cancer. And that's why most people that find ovarian cancer, they find it in stage four because there's no test for it. So there's a lot. There's a lot that we have to fight for. But I'm happy to be fighting by your side because I think what you're doing is really amazing. And I have one last question for you. If you could go back to that girl who was trying so desperately to have a baby in the beginning, what do you wish you had known when you started? Well, there's a few things. One thing that I do speak out in terms of women's health is that 
you have to speak up at the doctor. I think a lot of people assume when you go to the doctor that they have all the answers and that they're taking all the time to really read all everything, but they are slammed with patients and it's hard for them to take all the necessary time. And so I think doing your own research. So I always tell women now, if you're trying, ask your doctor for a blood test an ultrasound and get your husband's sperm tested because that right there will save you months or years of trying an agony. Because if that's what we would have done, they would have known instantly that I had PCOS and that Kyle had a very, very low sperm count. And we wouldn't have gone through all the tears and the fights and the sadness and the depression and all that. So I think that's really important. But to be honest with you, to go all the way back, I don't know if I would have changed anything because I've learned so much and I've been now on both sides of it that I can understand everything that other women go through. We're definitely trying, you know, we still want another one for Brexton. We've been trying for quite a while now. And it was interesting. I used to read when the Bundle of Joy Fund started years ago, the essays from applicants. And I would read these stories of miscarriage or failed attempts or years of trying, all these other things. And I remember reading it and being like, oh my gosh, like it was hard enough going through a year and a half of it. But then we did IVF and we got pregnant right away. And so it was a hard journey, but it wasn't like that. But now so many years later after miscarriage and failed attempt and trying to find a surrogate and getting our hopes up there and then having it shattered again, there's just been so many more ups and downs that I feel like as hard as they are, it helps me to connect with other women and understand them and fight more for them. Well, I think empathy is incredibly powerful. And if we can have empathy and empathize with other people and take on their experience as our own to then try to help and comfort, then we've done our job as human beings, right? I mean, what else is there? Especially if you look at this time right now and the whole world is struggling with this virus, it just makes you realize that the only thing that is certain is love and community and connection. And you could not have said it better. It's sad that it has to come to like a pandemic for us to go back to this place of wanting to help our elderly neighbors. But here we are. It just goes to show you how much more important the work that you're doing is because everyone deserves a family that's trying, that wants one. That's how I feel. I feel like so many people take it for granted having kids and getting to do all those amazing things, right? Like think about Christmas with kids or Halloween or just being curled up on the couch watching a Disney movie. And for so many people, that's all they want. They want a child to love and they shouldn't have to sell their homes or go into debt just to get a chance to do so. It really breaks my heart. We just feel blessed that we even have a chance to keep going on our journey. But it just frustrates me to no end that because of our policies and insurance and other people's views on IVF and infertility, that not everyone has the same chance at it. And look at what you've been able to do with your struggle. I think it's just really beautiful. And I thank you on behalf of women struggling everywhere. Thank you so much, Samantha. My beautiful wife, Samantha, I read a quote recently that hit home for me. It said, the strongest people are not those that show strength in front of the world, but those who fight and win battles that others don't know anything about. I'm right here with you knowing how hard it's been to go through multiple, yes, multiple, failed attempts of IVF this year. 
to walk around and try to face people week after week is difficult for me, always knowing in the back of my mind how helpless I feel in life, knowing how much I wanted to answer your prayers to be able to give you a gift of our baby girl. While those losses weigh on us each and every day, I also want to reflect on those of the many blessings that we do have in our lives. To the biggest one, which is our love for our amazing son, Brexton, you guys are my rock and my place of peace. Pregnancy is such a personal, intimate thing. It cuts to the heart of what many have traditionally, not correctly, just traditionally, defined as womanhood. And because of this, of course, the way we approach infertility care is less than it would be if it was primarily a man's issue. Better treatment and coverage for fertility and pregnancy-related health care is a rare thing. It's a facet of reproductive health care that all sides of the political spectrum should be able to come together to fix. Pro-choice should mean that women have the ability to choose pregnancy and the medical care necessary to allow that to happen. Pro-life should mean the same thing. And when women lose a pregnancy... Those of us who carried the one in four pregnancies that end in miscarriage. I've had two miscarriages. We need to be so much better about supporting these women and families. How is this a thing that has stigma? How is this grief still expected to be carried in silence? We can do better. We can open our hearts and our insurance companies can open their wallets to women and their control of their own reproduction. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry.